You guys can be seated. If you're a note taker, as Pastor Joey said, on the notes portion of our app, all these notes are in there. So anything I put on the screen is in your app today, and it'll save you some time writing. But main idea for the day is just that. The church is... The church is a people in constant need of change and repentance of sin as we strive to look more and more like Jesus. There it is. The church is people in, constantly, in constant need of change and repentance of sin as we strive to look more and more like Jesus. So here's what I want you to hear today. If you've been here and you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, roughly 20-some years is what I've been walking with Jesus. I've been a Christian for that long. Some of you have been Christian for longer than I've been alive. Some of you are brand new to the faith. Some of you look back on your history of faith, and though it may have several years to it, you don't feel like you've really grown in your faith in some time. And so all that, and then, and then there are some of you, I know some of you here today would not even say that you are a Christian. And so as we sit here in this room, we have a vast variety of people. And here's one thing that we all have in common. If, if we are following Jesus, we're in need of change. Amen. All of us. No matter how long, no matter how changed we've been, no matter what, all of us are required to be continually changed by the gospel. Let's back up a few verses to Acts 21, verse 26, where we left off last week. And let me start there. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So we're picking up, even in the middle of a chapter, so we're in the latter end of the book of Acts. Really, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the book of Acts is the birth of the church. It's at the end of Jesus' life when he has been crucified and resurrected. Jesus put in a grave for three days, rose from the dead, and is now spending a few weeks on earth with a small group of believers a small group of his students, disciples, and he is, he is proving to them that he is alive. He is showing them the marks in his hand, the mark in his side, the marks in his feet. He is showing them that he is truly alive and, and, and proclaiming to them that it is their job to take the message of his life and death and resurrection to the world. And so we see the birth of, the, we see the birth of that in Jerusalem, we see that spread to the surrounding areas like Judea and the hard places like Samaria. We see it press out even into the ends of the earth. And as this all is taking place, a leader emerges, a man named Paul, who as we read in the passage just a minute ago, and we're going to work through today, we see as a, a man who has undergone a ton of change. He has gone from persecuting Christians, literally putting Christians to death. He's gone from there to literally being a if not the most prominent leader in the first century Christian church. So he's undergone a great transformation, and as the journey starts to follow him through churches he begins, churches he plants and starts and, and, and hands off to others, we now see him as he is working his way back to Jerusalem, and now he's arrived in Jerusalem, and there's some pushback. The, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are, are, have believed things about him that are not necessarily true. And so the church in Jerusalem has asked him to take a season of sacrifice and fasting. If you're unfamiliar with that, fasting is to deny yourself of something in order to press into God. Most common fast is people will go without a meal or uh, 24 hours worth of meals. And they will do that. It's not like fasting before a blood test, although you still skip meals, right? It is about fasting, and, and, and instead of eating, you would spend time in prayer. 
Spend time in worship. Spend time with God. Some people will do uh, some kinds of fasts where they deny themselves certain things, but not all food or all drink, and they'll do them for an extended period of time. And there's one that's an Old Testament fast called the Nazarite vow. And that's what Paul is doing right now is he's taken this, this fast or this season of fasting to press into God. But he's done it really to kind of open up a door of effective ministry to the Jewish Christians. So he's not doing it to make himself a Christian. He's already a Christian. He's not doing it to make himself Jewish. He was born Jewish. In fact, he was a Jewish religious leader. He's doing it to get past the barrier of what some people think about him. So really, he is sacrificing just for the sake of the gospel. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He's really just opening up a door that allows him to speak to others. A simple and silly example uh, is the reason I wear long sleeves a lot, right? A lot of times we'll have people and, and I'm tattooed and, and sometimes that first impression is one that you can't get back, right? And now I know that we live in a culture, especially in Southern California, where today it seems like everyone is tattooed. That's not true, but it, a lot of people are tattooed, right? And so that, that stigma is kind of going away. But in all honesty, it's warm today and I'd rather be in a t-shirt or something, right? Or in shorts for that matter. But first impressions matter, Amen. right? And I would say first impressions matter a lot less if I just meet you on the street and want to be friends with you than it does, well, the first impression for the gospel matters. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what Paul's doing. He's taking some time to really show his Jewish roots. And he's doing so so he can connect with Jewish Christians, Verse 27 says this, when the seven days were almost completed, so it's a week-long fast, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That is not a fun lay hands on him like prayer, just for the record. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, let me just let me say this. So here's what he does. He is going to try and do this season of fasting in order to get through the doors that he can bring a word of encouragement, a word about the gospel, that he can even bring it to Jewish Christians. So understand, as we talk about a lot of the folks here, they're all Jewish. They're all those who confess a faith in, in God. Many of them are Jewish Christians who not only profess a belief in the Jewish God, but believe that God then became flesh in Christ, fulfilling the promises, the vast majority of the promises in the Old Testament, that God in flesh brought us redemption, right? That brought us forgiveness of sins and brought us everlasting life and brought us a new life in this world. And so they believe that. And so as he does this, really it's, are you, are you the kind of Jew or the kind of Christian we like? Now, I know that would never happen in America today, right? <laughs> we totally all get along, Right? Just look at social media, it's proof, right? So uh, this is what's taking place. So he does this, and really what happens is it doesn't work. Some of the things they believe about him are true. Some of the things they believe about him are not true. He didn't bring a Greek, a non-Jew, in fact, uh, at all, into the temple. But there's some rumors about Paul. And so really they seize him and they beat him. They begin to lay hands on him. Like I said, not in the nice way. Verse 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. 
and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So here's the deal. I love the assumption. And so basically, modern-day context, here's what happens. You see a leader with someone who doesn't look right, whatever that means. Like Lucky, maybe. I don't know. So like, you see a guy like... No, so you see a guy who looks a certain way. So me in short sleeves is probably a good example, right? And you make some assumptions. Like, I don't know if that guy is a Christian. I don't know if that guy should be hanging out with that guy. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, like, maybe that's exactly who that guy needs to be hanging out with, first of all. And maybe the guy who looks that way maybe is not what you think he is. Amen. But we tend to kind of stereotype people or put people into categories long before we get to know them. And then we do this under a religious guise. If you're a note taker, here's this way. Sometimes we lose sight of the true gospel faith, forgetting the gospel is for those who don't look or act like us. The gospel is the very thing we ought to be taking to folks. And let's just say that the thing we see in someone else, oh, they look homeless. They look addicted. They look like they're in trouble. They look like a Muslim. They look like a Buddhist. You fill in the blank. They look like whatever. Oh, they look like the political party I'm not a part of. Maybe the gospel is exactly what they need. And maybe you're exactly the one to be with them. And maybe when we see that, we ought to start praying, not making so many assumptions anyhow, but maybe that's exactly what we need. Verse 28, and then the, all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion and he, meaning the tribune, the Roman soldier leader, at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Here's the deal. The Jews literally seize and beat Paul. Now, I, 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 want, to, I, I want to make sure we're, we're clear on this. From the temple area, a place of worship, they seize Paul to beat him. Because... They think he's teaching something contrary to their faith. They think he's just theologically wrong. Right? They seize him and begin to beat him so bad, really a Roman, a, a Roman collection of soldiers begin to run down there. A tribune is a leader of soldiers begin to run down there and to break this up. It's, it's that bad. And it's all people of faith, all people with similar backgrounds, really taking their faith to a level that's really, really unhealthy. Amen. Verse 33, and when the tribune came up and arrested him, meaning Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains, he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So I want you to hear the, the kind of the utter chaos that's taking place as Paul is being arrested. It says they put him in two chains, which is not a, a rap reference, but it, it is rather, <laughs> if you're under a certain age, that just, yeah, I know. So anyhow, but rather saying, listen, like this is a serious moment where they're trying to collect this guy and make sure he doesn't get away. And if you know anything about Paul, there's some history there. God has done some amazing things like fly open prison doors and break off all, all kinds of stuff, right? Did I go up in your value now that I mentioned two chains? Is that cool? No, Joe, nothing. All right, so it's chaos, but I want you to hear this. The crowd is so loud 
that the authorities can't figure out what's going on? How many times is the noise coming from us so loud that it distracts the conversation? Left, right, conservative, progressive, I don't care. How many times about any given issue is the noise so loud that we just can't get anything accomplished? Verse 35, it says this, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldier, the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. There's too many easy layup examples, if you will, just teed up examples of our political conversation right now, right? Just chants made in gatherings by both sides that are just incredibly vitriolic and problematic. And then there's lots of people trying to co-op Christianity and the Bible in the midst of that and saying, well, this says, or Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, or the Bible says this, and they're on both sides, and there's, there's just so much noise right now. There's just so much chaos right now that it's really hard. Not only is it really hard to get anything done, but if, if, if you're anything like me, you sit back and you see this, and it's really hard to imagine things are going to change or how they're going to change. God is the only way. But what I want to say now is that Christians on both sides of a lot of conversations are the problem sometimes. Amen. Prop 8, you guys remember that? I remember groups of people, literally groups of people. I was pastoring a different church then and I was in a different city. Groups of people on this major intersection for Prop 8, against Prop 8. Both had people in the crowds professing to be believers, literally bullhorning, shouting at the other side of the car, literally the other side of the street. I just don't imagine how we're going to get anything done in that setting, right? Immigration now. Uh, it, you, you keep the topics continue to go, and that's, that's without saying anything about either side except the, the noise is so loud. Verse 37, it says, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? What? How? Wait a minute. Who are you? Aren't you the, like, I don't even know how you confuse Paul, who, by the way, if you've seen pictures, is not white. Just throwing that out there for you, all right? And he doesn't have a little glow around his head. But... Either way, I don't think he looks Egyptian. But then they really have this guy, and they have no information. They're not sure who he is. Really, what happens, they rescue him out of a crowd, out of a beating, and they're thinking one thing. They're thinking he's this leader that led thousands of men into a revolt, into an uprising, into a chaotic moment. And really, all he did was walk into a crowd. And just by him speaking in his language that he speaks... He throws everybody off like, wait a minute, we thought you were somebody entirely different. Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? They don't even know who he is. Verse 39, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. In other words, from a pretty prominent place. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. 
So here's what I, I want you to, I, I think you have a sense of the chaos of the moment that we're in, and I think you have an, an idea of how we can tie that into our modern day setting right now. We feel that tension, it doesn't matter what side of the conversation we are, it doesn't matter, it, it just, we know what that feel is, right? And if we're just honest, we've contributed to it, we've pitched in to the fever pitch that is around, that is on social media, that is, the, that, you know, whether or not we've ever picked it or, you know, or done something that aggressive, but we've just vented on social media, we've just voiced opinions with a lack of grace, right? As the Bible talks about grace and truth, sometimes we will take truth and forget grace. And we will think somehow, dignify ourselves somehow to think, if what I just said is true, it doesn't matter how I say it. Now I want to contrast that with Paul in this moment, who begins to speak and just share from his heart. And, and I want you to see why Paul speaks. Now imagine he has been beaten by the very crowd he wants to talk to. Imagine that he, is, he has been beaten not for something he did, but for something he didn't do. He's been now detained or arrested by people who thought he was somebody entirely different. And I want you to hear his response. Let's start with this. If you're a note taker, I want to kind of start here. Instead of being angry at the violent crowd, Paul has a heart for them. He wants to see them transformed by Jesus like he has been. How many of us in this moment would just want to be right? Yeah, me and you, man. All right, so the rest of you will do honesty another day, right? But like at some point, we just want to be right. We want to be vindicated. Like, hey, man. How about those two chains? How about you cut them off? How about you let me go? How about you don't arrest me? How about you arrest them? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I was taking the beating. How about you go get them? You don't even think I thought it was somebody else. I'm, you don't even know me. How about you just let me be right in this? That's my sin. That's my struggles. I just want to be right. Paul is different. He wants the people to meet Jesus more than he wants to be right. I'll just admit in this moment, I'm not sure I'm that guy. I hope to be. I hope I would be. Just being honest. Verse 40, and when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, now here's, here's going to be Paul's speech, shifting gears to Hebrew, because it's a Jewish audience in Jerusalem. And he has a heart for the people. He speaks their language. You can run with this for a minute and just think, how do we apply speaking to the culture in their own language? That's, that's free. That's not a part of today. It's just a freebie in case you want it, right? Chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, he became even, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are on this, day's, on this day. Here's what he's doing. He's giving some background to who he is. Listen, I'm a Jew, first off, not somebody else. Here's where I was raised. And then he throws the big bomb. Basically, he was mentored by the third most prominent Jewish rabbi ever to this day third most prominent Jewish rabbi still, even to this day, was a one-on-one -on -one coach 
a one-on-one discipler, teacher, and rabbi to Paul. Here's what Paul's doing. He, he begins to speak. He speaks in their language. He begins to give a bit of his background. He's giving a starting point. Now, I, I had originally wanted just to, to kind of go back to just listen, how do we share our story with others? We just did that in August, September-ish, somewhere in there. We just did a series on, on sharing Jesus with others naturally. And one of them was just sharing your story with others. And so I felt it's kind of repetitive, just 30, 60, 90 days ago, whatever it was. Math's not my strong suit, clearly. And so uh, just I was looking at this, and there was another major theme here. And the major theme is is this massive swing of transformation that never stops. And so even though that's what we're going to look at today, I want you to see how Paul shares his story with other people. So the starting point for Paul is this. Sharing how Jesus has impacted your life needs to begin with who you were before Christ. Paul tells of his former Jewish faith and training in order to show the transformation he has undergone. So here's why he is sharing his background. Here's why he's sharing a starting point for his story. It's not to brag on who he used to be, right? He's not trying to give a pedigree in order to gain respect. He's really doing it to show how much change Jesus has made in his life. And that'll become apparent in the story he tells, so a lot of you know my story, and, and I, I, I get to share it all too frequently, and I, not, I don't mean that with, I'm glad I get to share it a lot, but I have one of those stories that the, the, the transformation is big, and really, honestly, just in brief points, it goes back decades to coming from a broken home and, and having that be a catalyst that got me into drugs, and then drugs at a young age really led to crime, really hard to pay for those things without doing something wrong, Right? Crime led me to getting into trouble. I've been kicked out of school since I was in the fifth grade. Five high schools in three years. Didn't graduate. That was a long time ago. Army, got kicked out. Got in a lot of trouble in the Army. And as soon as I got out, because the Army I thought was going to be my functional savior, the thing that was going to change me, I just needed discipline. Well, actually, what I needed was Jesus. I just didn't know that. So as soon as I got out, I hit the streets angry, and right in and out of jail, in and out of prison. Because of prison and uh, just the anger inside me, gangs became a natural fit. So year, almost two decades of drug addiction. And then a lot of time in and out. I used to tell people I was doing life on the installment plan. I was in more than I was out. In fact, to be honest with you, I was very uncomfortable on the streets. And so in a little cell in 1997... Something happened that changed my life. Most of you don't know the gang. It doesn't really matter. But in some settings, that information opens doors. Sometimes the tattoos that I have that you can't see open doors. Because there's a credibility there. There's things that just you don't get to have. That's what Paul's doing right now. He's saying, listen, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Like, I know you'd all like to say that but I did that. And he's not boasting in that. He's just saying, listen, you've got to understand where I came from because where I came from tells you how I, when I get here, why this is so profoundly important and impactful. So he starts with his background. Verse four, I persecuted this way. When you see way capitalized in here, this way, the early name for Christianity, long before the church in Antioch of Syria, long before that was started, they just called people that followed Jesus, they called him a part of the way, right? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and it stuck. And they followed this Jesus, and they called him being a part of the way. That's it. And that long before they called him Christians or anything else, they were the way. And Paul says this, listen, I persecuted the way. Right? If you've read through Acts, you remember the death of Stephen, and it's Paul standing there, kind of cheering them on, overseeing it. Paul saying, listen, man, here's where I came from. Not only was I not a Christian, I persecuted Christians. I arrested Christians. I beat Christians. I even oversaw the death of the first martyr of Christianity. He says, that's my backstory. That's where I come from. And he is saying it with a sense of confession, like this is my sin. This is who I was. For me, racism, addiction, crime, violence, was it, that's who I was. We were talking about this not too long ago, and, and there's a sense of being more addicted to the life than to the drugs. And, and, and that's just, I was broken. I was a mess. I got to do a podcast this last week. That's where it came up. I, I, I flew out to Monterey for a conference. I, got to, I was able to teach some stuff up at a conference. Long story short, and I did a podcast with a leader who was in from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And we sat down, and I shared a part of my story that doesn't normally come out. And I know that that's God. I know that, it, it, that God is doing something in that moment, and, and the story went a different direction. And I just remember talking about the fear and hopelessness. To look at my background is not to see a lot of fear. It's to see a lot of crazy and stupid but not fear. But it looked crazy and stupid, so I was scared to death. Because I was broken, lonely, and afraid. And that came out in that podcast. That was a powerful moment for me to remember. Hey, listen, there's, there's more than what you just say sometimes. And sometimes there's other pieces of this. Transparency. Paul shares honestly about his past persecution of Christians. Sharing personally with others requires a level of humility and transparency if you expect to connect with them. Paul's not bragging here, and that's super important. It's easy to tell those stories, oh, back in the day, I was this and that and what, and Paul's not doing that. Paul's saying, oh, listen, I want you to hear where I started, and I persecuted the very people that I, I'm now a part of. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. There comes a moment in Paul's life where everything is now in question. Paul has literally been a religious zealot Pharisee. He has been so zealous for his faith that he is literally persecuting those who don't believe like him. Modern day example is Islamic terrorism. And that's the closest thing we have right now are those who are killing other people, other Muslims, Christians, etc., for, for, the, for their faith. Out of a zealousness for what they believe, they're killing others. That's what Paul is saying. Paul's just confessing to be just a, a modern day terrorist. He says, listen, I, 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 was, I was going along this road and literally my job, I thought I was fulfilling the call of God on my life by killing Christians, persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, beating Christians, and I'm walking along and literally this bright light shines, an audible voice speaks, there's this moment, and Paul's gonna say this in a second, like the people with me heard it. Like, I was not alone in this, and it literally blinded me, and you can hear the fear, especially in the original account of this in Acts 9, you can hear the fear in Paul's voice as he says, 
who are you, Lord? Like, that's a lot of submission. I don't call anybody Lord, right? But that's a whole lot of like, sir, right there in that moment, right? Like, who are you, Lord? Like, everything in Paul's life now is upside down. And his answer, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. You're going along your life, and you think you are being the best, the most religious, most zealous, in the best way, leader. And literally, you believe that that is your destiny. You're glorifying God in all that you do until you find out the very person or name that you persecute is God. His entire worldview and faith is flipped upside down. No longer can he have a paradigm for what he believes. Everything is shattered. Clearly, Jesus is God, and he's wrecked. And he has a moment where Jesus becomes God. Where the God he thought he was following is false, and Jesus becomes real to him in that moment. Paul has what we call just a Jesus story. Our story is useful for the gospel when it's about Jesus. We're never the hero of our own story. In my story, I should be a train wreck because that's all I was. But Jesus, and when Jesus enters the story, the story shifts. So I'm in a cell. And the realization of the fact that I'm probably never getting out and that I don't deserve to get out. And then even if I did get out, I'd be right back in and I'd probably never get out. That realization hits as I have a conversation with a friend of mine. I go back to my cell. I tell the dude I sell with, I go, you need to go. I need to be alone. And I sat there in these, these long, thin windows, just like we have in our offices, by the way. It's a little freaky. <laughs> I think it just makes me feel more at home. But so I'm looking through this window, and I see people laughing. We're all locked up. Laughing. and just kind of happy. And they're around a table with some Bibles. And I prayed. Okay, God, if what I know is true... You've always said you could fix me. You fix me, I will never leave you. I don't recommend bargaining with God, by the way. Just <laughs> in my immaturity, that's all I had, right? I didn't think it looked this, if you told me it looked this way, I'd have laughed at you. I thought it'd be inside. I really did. I just thought, okay, listen, if I ever, I don't know what this means. But my story changes when Jesus enters into the story. It's not about me. It's never been about me. In fact, everything about me is just a mess. And then Jesus. And that's where Paul is. Jesus spoke. And, and, and if your story doesn't have that moment where Jesus enters in and things begin to shift radically, whether you're raised in the church, whether you're raised in a good home, whether you never do any of the idiotic things I ever did, but if your story doesn't shift in a moment where Jesus enters in, then you have to ask yourself, is this, is this my story? Is this Jesus' story? Amen. And in order for it to be a gospel story, Jesus enters in and everything turns on Jesus and Jesus is the hero of the story. Yes. Verse nine, and those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice. So here's the deal. They have the same experience but they don't have it at the same level of understanding Paul does. Other people perceive it's all taking place. Paul is having his own moment with Jesus like really, like none other. They did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Verse 10, and he says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. 
And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand to those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken by, of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. That day, something happened in my life. And it wasn't great. It didn't turn immediately, and, and it was a bumpy road. The very next day, I prayed about the addiction that I had. Uh, and I remember saying, God, I, I, can't, I can't beat this thing. Like, I'm in, and where I was and who I was and what we did, I was surrounded by drugs, inside more than outside. And, and because of that, I remember this prayer like, God, okay, listen, I can't. There's no way I can do this. And I'll tell you the truth, I've never used again. God healed me that day of a drug addiction. I went on to battle a thousand other things. Uh, I had enough problems, to be honest with you. But God took that. And that was that first click in the journey where I began to move down the road towards Jesus. In that moment, God met me in my broken state and in my emptiness and my, my hopelessness and just shifted something into gear. Paul then goes into the city and a man comes to him and listen to what he says to him. It's both very Jewish and very Christian. He said, verse 14, the God of our fathers, a very Jewish approach to God, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. That's a very Christian reference to Jesus. And to hear a voice from his mouth, meaning Jesus' mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone what you have seen and heard. If God had told me that day what I'd be doing, I'd have laughed at God too, just for the record, okay? But my life changed. Paul's life changed. Jesus pivots this, this, this thing that we do, this, this life that we've broken, this, this emptiness, this place where we arrived at, Jesus changes that. When Jesus entered the story, everything shifts into gear. And that begins a journey that never stops. See, we never do, oh, like, oh, I said this prayer, everything was magic, and all of a sudden I'm perfect. Like, that's really, really far from true, right? You don't all have to agree that quickly, but this is a journey that goes for decades until I either die, Jesus returns, or something significant takes place, right? That this is an ongoing transformation. This doesn't stop. Still human, broken, flawed, and a, a mess left to myself. Amen. <laughs> Verse 16. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we, get, we got to do some baptisms, some really cool celebrations of people who have made that confession of faith and turned their lives to following Jesus. And we echo those same words. Repent and be baptized. Turn from who you were towards Jesus. Be baptized. So identify yourself with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. The Holy Spirit will be given you. Everything changes. The very words of Jesus in Matthew, the great commission given to all of us as a church is this. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. That should be on the screen. Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. At least I got it out right. That's good. <laughs> but I want you to see this. It's not this prayer you pray. It's not even that moment of baptism. 
It's then make disciples, like disciples are ongoing students of Jesus, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Like that's a lifetime of all that I've commanded you. That you turn in this moment, and yeah, sometimes like right back here in 1997 when everything changed, yeah, it was some significant shifts. Things changed more significantly in that moment than they may take today. But God is not yet done, and God is continually pointing out things that need to change and continue to change. And sometimes he heals you of something like I went through the healing of an addiction and never used again. Sometimes that happens. And sometimes, which I've also been through, you have to fight through the change and learn how to submit to God. But the change comes, and the change is never done. So back to Paul's story. We'll wrap this up. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Here's the deal with Paul. I'm going to give you a voice, but believe it or not, it's not going to be with your people. Let me give you a voice to the very people you used to disassociate yourself with, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. I'm going to give you a voice somewhere else. Paul will spend most of his ministry trying to have a voice with the Jewish, having some level of success because his heart is for them. Most, the vast majority of his success will come outside the Jewish ethnicity and the Jewish faith. It will come with the very people that God has called him to. Verse 19 Paul says, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. Listen, why don't the Jews, why don't you Jews, why don't you understand I was you? I led the revolt against Christians. I was the one here. For the first martyr of Christianity, it was me leading the charge. Why don't you understand who I am and how I love you? That's where Paul is. I want you to see what Jesus has done with my life. If you're following along the notes, again, this is in your app. The hallmark of walking with Jesus is a life that is always being transformed in the image of Christ. Let me give you two for Paul. Because it's important that we don't just think we change here and not later on. So Paul's change, he goes from persecuting Christians to being a Christian. It's a pretty significant shift, right? He goes from this to this. That's when he first comes to faith. But somewhere along the way, Paul left the idea of wanting to be right. To just identify himself as, hey, listen, man, I'm vindicated. I'm right. And we see that because in this moment where he's being beaten, he could care less about his own name or his own repu reputation or anything else. All he wants is he wants the people in front of him to see Jesus and see the transformation in his life. Then and now, forever. We change then, whenever your then is. If it's tomorrow, it's then. If it's 20 years ago, if it's 80 years ago, it's then. You change when Jesus enters your story, you change again and again and again. And as long as we're alive, we should be changing. Amen. We get to unpack things in community groups really well, take them, pull on them, ask questions about them, say, hey, man, I don't understand this. I disagree with this. I want to know this more. And then we get to get into places where we can really unpack them personally, really wrestle with the text 
and find things that relate to our lives personally. So I'm going to leave these last three questions there for all of you. You should be able to answer them. But if you're in a community group, understand this is where I want to spend some time and press in this coming week. First one is a verse out of Romans. Excuse me. Oh, I skipped one. Change lives. Nope. Yep. Back up one. Change lives. How about I finish the message first, then I'll give you the community group stuff. Sound good? Okay, cool. Looking back, what was your life like before Christ? That's not it. Back up. Two more slides, please. Changed lives. My fault. Sorry. The hallmark of walking with Jesus is a life that is always being transformed into the image of Christ. Always being transformed. Wherever you are now, there's still change left to have. Right? So how do we do that? And this is the part I want to unpack in community groups. So Romans 12, a great reference point, a starting point for transformation. Paul says to the church in Rome, he writes this, by the way, while he's arrested right now, like in Jerusalem. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. That you would continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's too much to unpack today. If, you're, if you don't have, I wrote on this. The book I published last year, I spent a chapter on, I spend a chapter on this chapter of Romans talking about what is that transformed by the renewal of your mind? What is that? If that would be any benefit to you. But I want you to see this, that there is an ongoing transformation that we are called to never stop changing, that in Christ, our lives are never perfect, but we're aiming towards Jesus. And so our question is, how do we continue to be ongoingly changed? So there's three questions I just want to leave with you for the week. First one, looking back, what was your life like before Christ? And what sins and or brokenness separated you from God? And so really asking yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, before Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what is the thing that stands between you and Jesus? What's getting in the way of you following him? That would be a different way to ask this question. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, what are the things that, that, that got in the way before? What were the things that separated from you from God? Part of the reason of asking that is it shows you what God has done in your life already. Sometimes we just need that encouragement. When things are hard, when things are tough, we need to look back and go, that's right, God did fix that. God did walk me through that space in my life. The things I did, the things people did to me, whatever it might be in your life. I know, I know some people struggle with more what's been done rather than what they've done. Next one. How has Jesus met you in the broken areas of your life and made changes that brought you peace? I, I, I wrote those two separately. Because a lot of times, Christians, I'm just going to, for once, I'm normally talking to everyone, but I just for any of you that have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, I want you to hear this. Sometimes your story isn't how you came to faith. It's how you've been walking with Jesus recently. Yes. What are the things that Jesus has walked you through more recently? And that's why I wanted to separate those two questions. What was it back here? And then what is it now? And if, and if your life with Jesus is really short, maybe some of those are the same things. But if your life with Jesus has some distance to it and all you have is this back here, let me suggest we need some modern day story in your life. Some modern day places where Jesus has connected in your life. Last one. What are the areas that Jesus is showing in your life today that need to change? Everyone who follows Jesus undergoes constant transformation. Everyone who follows Jesus undergoes constant transformation. There's one more note, a life of change. If we are truly following Jesus, we will always be changing as Jesus makes us look more like him. If we cease to change, we cease to grow in our faith.
Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You were the God who entered into our story. Uh, Not only did you enter into human history, but Jesus, you entered into our story. You were the God who became flesh to be like us, that we might be like you. You became like us so that we could become more and more like you. You bridged the gap between us and a holy God. You'd entered our story. You entered history, but more importantly, as each of us as individuals, you enter our story. God, for those who are sitting here right now that would not identify themselves as Christians, first off, Jesus, I thank you that they're here. I'm glad. I'm glad that we're a place where those who don't call you Lord and Savior and King can feel comfortable coming in and learning about you. I pray that we, the church, would be a good representation of you. If that's you, I would say, Jesus waits and loves you, wants to join your story. God, for those of us that follow you, Jesus, that have called you king, that that attempt to surrender our lives to you, give us grace, give us mercy, give us strength to change. Give us a humility that we might not be just the noise that is out there. but let us be a positive contribution to the culture that we would lead with grace and with truth, that we would be a loving people, really, truly putting forward a loving God who wants to enter into our stories and change every one of us. I pray for those who have been pioneers for us, those that are older Christians who have been walking with Jesus a long time. I thank you for them. We need them. They are wisdom. They are our models. Let us honor them and follow them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.